Welcome to the Royal Geographical Society with IBG Ask the Geographer podcast series. I'm Laura and in each episode we'll be meeting a geographer to discuss their research and where geography has taken them. Big data and digital technology are changing cities around the world. But is this urban growth sustainable and inclusive? Globally, more than 4 billion people still do not have access to the internet. Bridging this digital divide is crucial and is being addressed by Sustainable Development Goal number 9, which aims to build resilient infrastructure and sustainable industrialisation around the world. In this podcast, we're joined by Dr Iona Datta, Reader in Urban Futures at King's College London. We discuss how the Smart Cities Initiative is changing Indian cities and explore the ways in which digital space both empowers and excludes citizens. What does the term smart cities mean? So very simply, smart cities would mean the incorporation of two very important developments in information and communication technologies, which we would call ICT technologies. And it's basically the presence of big data and secondly the presence of IoT or what you might call Internet of Things. Um, And these two things are key for the governance and the management, efficient governance and management of cities. Big data is what is proliferating around us. It's the data that internet companies gather on us, that utilities companies gather on us, mobile phone companies gather on us, and it's huge amounts of data which it is claimed can be harnessed or processed in order to understand the patterns of of how we use technology and hence make improvements. IoT, or Internet of Things, is basically connectedness of all things. So connectedness of utility companies with connectedness with the police stations, with meters, with traffic and so on. And the idea that once we connect everything as a network, we can then see patterns across and then improve the efficiencies. So smart city basically means the incorporation of big data and Internet of Things in changing and transforming the way we govern and manage cities for the future. And it is said that it's going to make governance, the management of cities more efficient, and also then it would impact on the lives of citizens per se, in that if you want a bus immediately, then you know when the bus is coming, which kind of has always happened, but it's just going to make it more efficient. Which countries have taken up the Smart Cities Initiative? So the Smart Cities Initiative basically started, was pushed from uh, multinational global information and communication technology companies. So it was a push from the private sector, from the corporate sector. And therefore, it was implemented primarily in the Western countries because these were much more developed in terms of existing infrastructure, which could then support this connectivity between things, which could provide loads of data to support the big data. So obviously, it was taken up initially by countries like United States, United Kingdom, some European countries. Um, and the key, one of the early starts to this was through competitions. So IBM. The, the global uh, computer company, it ran this uh, United States Smart Cities Challenge. And at the end of the day, they chose uh, a city like Portland, and they got some funds to improve the digital infrastructure, to improve connectivity, provide public Wi-Fi. 
Similarly, United Kingdom, uh, they, we also did a Smart Cities Challenge and Glasgow was chosen and given some funds to transform into a smart city. So initially, this whole initiative has been pushed by corporate sectors in partnership with city governments, with federal states, to transform particular cities into smart cities. How does the concept of the smart city initiative vary between nations then? It depends on what was there before in these countries in terms of data availability or data scarcity, in terms of connectivity, in terms of networks between things. As I said earlier, the Western countries and the global north, the smart cities initiative is, is basically really largely focused on this ICT technologies in, in creating uh, really efficient systems really efficient traffic systems, really efficient crime prevention systems, and they will have these big, uh, what would they call, command and control centers from which you have loads of cameras around and you can actually look around and see everything, what is happening in the city. In other countries, for example, countries like China or India, where these things have come later, a lot of the focus initially has been to actually lay down this infrastructure because some of the infrastructure, like fiber optic cables, were not even there before. So the initial period of the smart cities development in global south countries has been mainly in physical and digital infrastructure development, alongside obviously urban transformations, like transformations in areas of cities, improvements in public spaces, improvements in public Wi-Fi, and so on. In other countries, for example, like South Africa, smart in a particular way already was there. So there was already use of a lot of digital technologies in providing, let's say, better water connections in even in slums and low-income settlements. There were places where uh, smart metering or trying to see how citizens would uh, use the online portal of the cities uh, would allow for cities to understand how people use digital technology. So kind of small interventions and small initiatives were always there for a very long time in countries like South Africa. Now, all of that has been then put together into gearing up towards the big smart city idea of everything being connected. So it is very varied. It is also very relevant to the current and historical context of different cities, where they are and where they vision their urban future, where the vision that they would go to. And, and a lot of the smart city initiatives, particularly in the global south, has been a, a lot to do with economic growth and uh, capital investment. So if you improve cities, then these are the cities that would be able to attract more foreign capital. And that's always the desire for many, many countries. So your research is focused largely on India. Can you tell me how Indian cities are changing specifically? In terms of India, uh, I've already slightly mentioned India before. One of the more recent, uh, very big, ambitious schemes in India is called the 100 Smart Cities Challenge. Uh, and this is run, again, by uh, the Indian government, but also in partnership with Bloomberg Philanthropies and, and several other bigger think tanks, global think tanks, and then, of course, supported by the corporate sector. The key idea in the India's kind of vision for the future, vision for urban transformations in the future, is that they will build these 100 smart cities across the country and each city would get a bit of money from the, the state, from the federal state. And using that money, then they would make improvements and also be able to attract foreign capital into the city. And with kind of different funds from different sources, they would be able to transform into a smart city. The interesting thing about the Indian cities changing is that they envision that each city would have its own vision. 
So there is no prescribed rule that a smart city has to look like this. Um, obviously, there are some guidelines that each city has to use some element of digital infrastructure, but how they use it, where they use it, what kind of infrastructure they input in is completely up to what the city needs. And the other very important criteria about India's vision for how its cities will change the future is that it has to be done in consultation with its citizens. So one of the key weighting criteria of the Smart Cities, 100 Smart Cities competition is that each city that bids for this pot of money has to show that they have consulted their ordinary citizens. What that consultation might look like, again, varies between city to city, but uh, it, it depends, again, on how each city then uses the citizen consultation to make proposals. And there have been three types of proposals, or that in the future, I think there are three types of ways that these cities will change. One is very straightforward laying out of different kinds of physical and digital infrastructure. So laying of roads, bridges, fiber optic cables, water sanitation, pipelines, but also digital interventions like initiating public Wi-Fi, making online payment systems possible, then smart meters that would detect leakages in their pipelines and so on. And then the second type of development that they are envisioning is area-based development. Particular parts of the city, areas of the city will be chosen. And the idea is that this comes from the citizens themselves. These areas will be chosen to make specific interventions, specific improvements. For example, a riverfront development. Um, to improve the quality of experience walking along the river, uh, heritage zones, tourist zones, tourist information kiosks, these kinds of things. So they're very area-based. They're, they're focusing on specific areas and zones in the city. And then finally, another way that Indian cities are changing is actually the building of new cities from scratch. So the idea is that to really build smart cities, it's going to be really difficult in existing cities because you know you already have buildings there, you have roads there. It's hard to do radical changes. So the proposal is also to build a series of new cities from scratch in which everything is started from bottom up and, and all the fiber optic cables and pipelines and digital infrastructures laid from the start. So you have these three kinds of ways that the vision of the future is manifesting. And is this occurring in small, medium or mega-sized cities? The 100 Smart Cities initiative is very interesting because it focuses a lot on small and medium-sized cities. Um, and this is, in a way, also reflecting a global trend because there has been several research that shows that larger metropolitan cities are slowing down in growth, but it's the smaller and the medium-sized cities that are rapidly growing. And I think the Smart Cities initiative sees that as the opportunity in which, if these are rapidly growing, let's intervene at this point where we can actually guide the planning of these cities in a more structured way and, and therefore also initiate the digital changes that is desired in a smart city at the same time. So actually out of the 100 smart cities, quite a high number, around 60 or 70% of it, are actually outside of larger metropolitan cities or towns. It's, it's mainly the area-based development that is focusing on the mega cities, whereas in the smaller and medium-sized cities, it's, it's more larger scale development across the city which they call pan-city development, so it's across the city. So will these improvements to digital infrastructure support social mobility and perhaps produce further social inequalities? It depends, really, and it depends on how these manifest, because it's great to have big ideas, it's great to have uh, very lofty aims and very well-intentioned visions of the future. The issue is that in India, a large part of the population live outside of formal planning systems, formal 
economic systems, formal, even even social, legal systems. So they're, they're really, a large part of the population is really on the margins, on the social, legal, spatial margins of cities, of infrastructure, of, of constitutional rights, etc. When we think about transforming these cities through digital infrastructure, we really have to keep in mind of the people that are already excluded and how those historical exclusions are important in shaping their digital digital uh, patterns. So if we think about the, what we understand as the digital divide, which is how people are separated from accessing or excluded from accessing digital technologies, digital infrastructures, digital online space, and so on, there's a large part of the population who don't even have mobile phones in India. And they're not, therefore, able to even access the internet. Before we begin to think about smart cities and how citizens would be involved in transforming smart cities, we have to address the digital divide. We have to try and bring people on this side of the digital divide in which people know how to get on the internet. They have the technology to access the internet and so on. But it's also just not enough to bridge the digital divide because that is anyway part of the global development goals that we have to bridge the digital divide. The key thing is how do people use information? How do people use digital online space? And when we start looking at that, it's very diverse. It's very gendered. It's, uh, it's, depend- it, it's very discriminatory in the sense that minority populations are often left out of it just because they are usually poor and they can't access mobile phones. And so, um, and, and so particularly some of the research that we've been doing, we find that women in families don't even have mobile phones of their own. So when they go out, they borrow the mobile phones from main family members or they use cheaper secondhand Android phones. So that really limits the kind of websites that can address kind of information that can address uh, it's also generational. Older people find it really hard to understand how to use technology and how to get on the internet. It's also what kinds of information they want to address, uh, they want to access, and what use that information can actually do in their lives. So alongside digital divide, alongside bridging the digital divide, we also have to think about building capacity and critical consciousness about how the digital can actually help them or empower them in accessing information and using that information to claim rights, for example. Whether you're claiming rights from your fellow citizens, whether you're claiming rights from the state or infrastructure or utilities companies, it's, you know, how do you use that information is the key thing. And then the other thing to consider in terms of social inequalities is that digital space itself is also highly fragmented and it can be exclusionary if you think about all the online violence, on the online trolling, Uh, and so on, and and increasingly surveillance by the state. Uh, And women and minorities seem to lose out on that. They they seem to be on the the negative side of that. So yes, a simple answer is yes, digital infrastructure can support social mobility, but it really has to be understood in in its fine-grainedness and how diverse it is and how people use digital infrastructure, not in any universal way, but in such very fragmented, diverse ways that unless we understand that, we really cannot solve the problem of social inequality. So how will the initiative be governed? The initiative, uh, basically, I mean, there are, there are two ways of thinking about it. One is governance from above, in which there are key criteria that each city has to be ful- uh, fulfilling. And once they fulfill those key criteria, one of them, as I said, is citizen consultations. Then they are awarded that money and then they go ahead to start the Smart Cities Initiative. 
And the legal regulatory framework that they have at the moment is what is called an SPV or a, a special purpose vehicle in India. And that allows each city to set up its, what can you imagine it, like a private company with a CEO who then um, manages and monitors the funds that come in to make these transformations. And then these, obviously, these transformations are decided between the CEO and the governing body. And then they decide where the funds will be channeled, what kinds of projects is important. And then they work closely with the city municipality to then decide on making those transformations. From bottom up, it's really interesting. It's far more diverse. Um, and that's where we are seeing a, a huge variety of ways that people actually respond to these initiatives. Uh, in some cases, particularly when you think about the Indian middle classes, it's been welcomed a lot. But from, from other areas, like for example, for slums or informal settlements, they have really claimed that their, their neighborhoods need to be looked at. And again, some of the initiatives in smart cities seem to have left out these informal settlements, particularly because of the logistics of it. So let's say you want to install smart meters to increase efficiencies of water supply, detect leakages. Now, you will do that only if there's a water supply line exists. But if there is an informal settlement which doesn't have a regular water supply line, they get water from tankers. So immediately the, the logics of trying to transform informal settlements into smart city areas is kind of becomes weak. So we've had from, from bottom up a loads of initiatives in which citizens themselves have said, we need to look into these areas. We need to see how we can also become part of the smart city and not be left out because we are we are losing out on infrastructure. We don't have the infrastructure available. Um, and I think that's where a lot of lot of exciting stuff is happening, a lot of hacking into information, a lot of uh, development of grassroots initiatives through which uh, they can tap into or feedback into the, the top-down governance of the smart cities is going on. Why have geographers engaging with smart cities so far mostly focused but on the global norm? I think it's mainly from where it started. As I said, it's because the smart cities initiative came from these big technology companies and they were located, the headquarters were in the global north. The initiative started in the global north. So the cities in the global north were the first ones where these were tested and experimented. And therefore, I think these are the reasons I think geographers began to look at those cities, which began to be transformed. Cities in the global south are, are really have been in the blueprint stage, I think, for the past five or six years. And it's just now we're seeing some of the developments and initiatives actually manifesting and unfolding before our eyes in, in their kind of very physical forms. And so now we are, I think you will see there is a recent resurgence of geographers and, and, and researchers looking at global south cities in, in the ways that they are transforming. But I think it's, it's I, I don't, I'm not sure it is because the global north has received precedence or is it because the cities themselves transformed earlier uh, and that's why they focused. Having said that, I do think that there is a tendency to think about the North as the kind of wellspring of our foundation of the knowledge that came about urban transformations and cities. Uh, and so it's, I think, because geographers in, in the UK particularly, but also in the US, has been already for some long time being interested in how the digital and the networked city is, is manifested, they have tended to look at cities like Dublin or cities like Boston, for example, or, or the UK cities 
um, and there's been less focus. So I think that we, we, I think we're developing capacity now for researchers to look at global south cities, particularly in how they envision themselves to be small cities. So sustainable goal number nine aims to build resilient infrastructure, promote inclusive and sustainable industrialization, and foster innovation. How hopeful are you that the Smart Cities Initiative can enact positive change for cities in India? I think a lot of it will be how it actually shapes out, how it manifests, like I said earlier. And it's the spread rather than who it addresses, rather than the reach of these initiatives. So if there is, if there is the, the infrastructure or, or the digital infrastructure initiative to transform cities, I would be interested in seeing how does it reach the ones that are always that have always been left behind, the communities that have always been left behind. So if the Smart Cities Initiative starts from marginality, I think the Sustainable Development Goal 9 and even Goal 11, which is about urban cities and communities, uh, will be successful. If we start from uh, the point of view that we have to install digital infrastructure, we have to create a smart city without actually looking at who will be left behind, then I don't think it will be successful. Promoting inclusivity, the only way I think is to start from those left behind and not start from those already included. And often I think, uh, and this is not just in India, I think across the board, we see inclusivity through the Smart Cities Initiative begins with those already in possession of a smartphone, um, those already in uh, possession of uh, broadband at home or um, water connections, sewage connections, electricity connections, because it's easier to in install digital infrastructure on existing physical infrastructure. But I think if we think about giving universal access to infrastructure first and then thinking about how to make it smart, uh, we, will, we will be more successful. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Dr. Datta's research on urban life, gender and citizenship, visit ayanadatta.com. This podcast is funded by the Global Learning Programme. For more resources on global development issues, visit rgs.org forward slash GLP.